You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 211. On today's show, we finish our paleoanthropology series with our closest human ancestors. Let's dig a little deeper, but not as deep as you think. <laughs> hey everybody, how's it going this week? By everybody, I mean you. Yeah, I'm like, who are you talking to? It's just me over right. here. <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, this is the inane chatter portion of the show. <laughs> <laughs> the, the part where we talk about where we're at and what we're doing and what the weather's like. Yeah, we're not yeah. going to do that too much because we got kind of a big show, but we do. Yeah, we get comments like that on iTunes. I really appreciate the people who take the time out of their day to go to Apple and say, <laughs> this podcast would be better if it wasn't for you guys. I know. I'm like, that's, that is so fair. Just yeah. go find another podcast to listen Great. to then, I guess. Uh, I suggest Zencaster as your recording method if you're going to do it. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, make subscribe. your own podcast. Yeah, so I can oh, listen. yeah, definitely. Yeah, so. Do it better. Yeah. We're also arrogant. We know everything and oh, yeah. uh, we don't care about your opinions. That was some fun feedback, yeah. right? It yeah. wasn't directed at us specifically, but like the entire I mean, it, network. I mean, so. it kind of was. Was it really yeah. to us? I don't know. <laughs> didn't say specifically. But. I mean, we really try hard not to be arrogant. I mean, I'm not even an it's academic. It's so. hard not to be arrogant when you know everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, See, guys, that's what I live with right. every yeah. day. That. Yeah. Indeed. Uh-huh. All right. So. This is the fourth and final episode of our paleoanthropological series Yes, about human evolution. Mm-hmm. And we're going to cover the genus Homo here. Now, this is a massive group. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, there's it's, it's probably because it's more recent, geologically speaking. So there's more there's examples more, of yeah. this. I'm willing to bet there were other Australopithecines, other Paranthropus, other... You know, older ones <laughs> all the way back right other yeah. ones we don't even have names for yeah. but it's just like you start getting so far back and the and the fossil record starts getting more and more fractured because yeah. those things either don't exist or they were in fewer quantities yeah right? and so. the geology moves forward even if it's very slowly and it's just harder to find stuff that yeah. is older you've got fewer examples right. so yeah well i felt the need because i know we've tossed these terms around a few times mm-hmm. in the last few shows but i felt the need to start off with defining hominid versus hominin yeah okay Okay. And they're both right when we're talking about yes. this entire show. Yeah. Hominin simply refers to humans and all of our ancestors. Mm-hmm. goes back to Australopithecines. Anybody who is, is in the ancestral line to modern humans mm-hmm. is a hominin. 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 Mm-hmm. Hominid refers to humans and all their modern ancestors, but also every great ape and all their ancestors. Okay. So hominids are chimpanzees, but chimpanzees are not hominins. Right. The common ancestor between humans and chimpanzees is a hominin and a hominid. And a hominid. (laughs) It is a little confusing when you start thinking about it because you're like, oh, well, what about when you get to this common ancestor between these two species? Like, yeah. But yeah. But like Australopithecines are hominins, but not hominids. Right. Because they don't have any, as far as we know, modern great ape descendants, you know, because it's not necessarily that 
we're the only thing that Australopithecines produced. Obviously, right. we think Paranthropus is a descendant of Australopithecine, and that died out. Yeah, true. So, you know, there could be other lines as well that mm-hmm. I really highly doubt evolved into other primates mm-hmm. because we, we have pretty good histories of the other primates that are known today. Right. So that's the definition. So we're hominins and we're hominids. Like you said, it could be something that died out, though, right. just like Paranthropus. So, yeah. Right. Everything we're going to talk about today is a hominin. Yes, because yes. they are in line. Well, well, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh it's man, all, it gets so confusing, doesn't it's a big, it? It's a big it old is. Bush. It's, right. It is confusing. Also, yeah. as we as we mentioned before, there are some species we're not going to talk about just because mm-hmm. we don't have time. Yeah. And and they're not like huge players evolutionarily mm-hmm. speaking yet. Anyway. Yeah. And. Just just know that we're not going to cover everything. This is not an exhaustive research on this topic. It's a it's a high level overview, as we've mentioned before. Yeah. Regarding the genus Homo. We're doing our best here for sure to cover as much as we can. Yeah. But the Homo is just a gigantic category. And we're going to cover six different examples from yeah. oldest to newest in the next three segments. But mm-hmm. there is more and there's lots of debates and we'll touch on some of them about which goes in which category and which should be split off to their own category and all that right. kind of stuff, too. This is an evolving <laughs> field. that. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that uh, we're just doing our, our best to do an overview on so right yeah. all right well let's dig into this now oh i mean so you have to, bad. It's like the easiest joke to make it is it yeah. is yeah anyway <laughs> the first one we're going to talk about here is homo habilis the now poorly named homo habilis right <laughs> 2.4 million to 1.4 million years ago found in eastern and southern africa mm-hmm. and they were first ident- well the first one was identified in 1964 in Olduvai Gorge in Tanzania, of course, by our favorite first family of paleoanthropology, the Leakeys. Yep. Now, the type specimen was actually found by Jonathan Leakey and was nicknamed Johnny's Child. And that name stuck until Lewis and his team, you know, did more studies on it and decided it was an entirely new species and gave it a new name. This one was found with what became known as Olawan tools. Mm-hmm. We've talked about those before. Actually, you wouldn't have heard this. We talked about it in a bonus segment off the last episode. So mm-hmm. if you're a member, go to your member pages and you can hear the bonus segment. If you're not a member, arcpodnet.com forward slash members, mm-hmm. and you can join <laughs> us and then hear our bonus segments. Yeah. But anyway, it was found. I guess you don't need to listen to it because I'm going to tell you about it right now. Yes, you but are. Basically, <laughs> uh, Olawan tools are are just cobbles with a couple of flakes taken off. Like they've been smashed together, maybe smashed against something bigger, mm-hmm. and they've just got a slightly sharpened edge. Yeah. But it was intentional. That's the point. It was intentional, but it wasn't like very, not artistic, that's not the right, right word, but there's not a lot of workmanship that went into them. Sure, you know, it's it, just like knocking some flakes off. and But it worked for over a million years but and that's it what they needed. Yeah, it was very yeah. expedient, that's yeah, for sure. It, it was learned very early on that while you can smash stuff with rocks, which other species do, mm-hmm. uh, other species use rocks in very clever ways, human ancestors realized early on that, hey, if we just modify this rock ever so slightly, yeah. then we can get a lot more effectiveness out of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know? So because these Oldowan tools, so-called, were found with Homo habilis, they, that name Homo habilis means handyman, right. literally, mm-hmm. uh, because they said he was like a handyman because mm-hmm. he had tools, right? Well, the article that we talked about in the bonus segment actually showed that Paranthropus is also a species that had tools and possibly earlier than Homo habilis. Mm-hmm. So while Paranthropus is not on the direct line to us and Homo habilis is, Homo habilis is arguably the first one we have evidence for in the human line that used stone tools, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the, the first hominid. 
Right. So because Perthropus technically isn't a hominid or it is in a hominin. It's a hominid because right. they're not a direct line to us. Because they're not a us, direct line to us. Yeah. As far as we know. Right. Right. Yeah. So. But tools, especially these expedient tools, it's very easy to imagine how these homin- hominids <laughs> would have realized how useful and mm-hmm. helpful they would have been and they developed separately, you know, and right. millions of years apart or maybe not millions, hundreds of thousands of years apart. Yeah. It, yeah, just, for it sure. just makes sense that that, that happened. Yeah. In 1986, a, another fragmentary skeleton was found in association with a Homo habilis skull and was found by Tim White. Yeah. And this was the first time we had seen more of the skeleton than just skull fragments and teeth, yeah. I think. So this really helped the researchers identify the different characteristics and it, they were better able to classify habilis as, yes, it is definitely part of the Homo line. Right. In 2003 or four, I went with the University of North Dakota Anthropology Club to San Francisco because the AAAs were going to be there, the mm-hmm. association, the American Association of Anthropology. Mm-hmm. And it was ended up being canceled because there was a big hotel strike. But there, oh, was, right. there was a few things still going on at Berkeley. And so we all went to Berkeley and were kind of, you know, fan fanboying and girling out on some stuff. And <laughs> I was a huge paleo fan at the time, read a lot yeah. of books. Tim White was just like iconic, mm-hmm. right? And I remember going to the anthropology department and seeing Tim White's mailbox. I didn't get to see him, <laughs> but I was like, I took a picture of Tim White's mailbox. Oh my God, you're such a nerd. Yeah, I know. What I know. a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> right. Anyway, Homo habilis had human-like features, including a slightly larger brain case, a smaller face and teeth than Australopithecus or some of the older hominin species had. Right. And the ape-like features included long arms and a moderately prognathic face and prognathic just means protruding so like kind of sticking out a little bit yeah for sure yeah Yeah, they averaged in height from again super short uh, yeah three foot four inches to four foot five inches or 100 to 135 centimeters for you highly advanced metric people (laughs) and a weight of around 70 pounds or 32 kilograms right so it took a while before we started getting taller and bigger yeah it did it definitely did yeah and in the more similar to our ancestors category, they had thicker tooth enamel and strong jaws, which were kind of similar to what Australopithecus had. But then, like we said, of course, the teeth were smaller. So they yeah. sort of had this like combination of stuff going on, especially in the jaw and mouth region. Back to the teeth being smaller, closer to humans. Dental microware studies suggest that the diet of Homo habilis consisted of mostly softer foods, but could have included some tougher foods like leaves, woody plants, and some animal tissue. And that just makes sense because as you see from the species coming down the line, they were having a, that smaller sagittal crest, mm-hmm. which which would have meant smaller muscles leading up the side of your head that actually control your jaw. I mean, we still have muscles that go up the yeah. side of our head. We just don't have a big crest to attach them to. Right. Because, you know, we eat cheese and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and, and when we cook our meat, it softens mm-hmm. and becomes tender. Yeah. And that's what we do. So not that these guys were cooking their food, but they were just opening their diets up to more opportunities, mm-hmm. I guess. And, and that was... was almost guaranteed to be environmentally driven. It's just like the food they had available to them and that's what they were doing. So their people who were able to eat those foods were more successful reproductively. Yeah, definitely. That's why it keeps going. Yep. So as always in paleoanthropology, (laughs) Homo habilis's place in the evolutionary line is under constant debate. Right. As they all are. As they always are and have been. There's some agreement here, but over the years, there's been a lot of arguments about where they fit and where what their place is. And like for a long time in the 90s, it was proposed that they be 
moved into the Australopithecine line. Yeah. Now, that has been rejected for the most part now. And everybody accepts that they're part of the Homo line. There are some that say that it's not directly in the human Mm -hmm. evolutionary line. So I think there's just still some questions out there about where they fit exactly. I mean, aside from, like I said, the teeth and and some of the other stuff, it is still Australopithecus-like, you know, in size and things like that. It's just... It's just how much, you know, is it a, is it another flavor of Australopithecine mm-hmm. or is it truly homo? Yeah. You know, what, what, it, what, and if we had a paleoanthropologist or a paleoanthropology podcast, which I'll say again, I really want, <laughs> then we would know exactly what traits we think make it homo. Mm-hmm. My guess is, just from what I know of these things, is it's the teeth in the brain. Yeah. The bigger brain, the smaller teeth yeah. are starting to get more homo-like. But do you make an intermediate species? This is where you come into like lumpers and splitters. Yeah. You know, we're lumping them into homo rather than splitting them into a separate species. Right. It's And it's really complicated because like we're pretty sure now that Paranthropus split off of Australopithecine, right? Australopithecus mm-hmm. and went that direction, right? So it's possible that Homo habilis is another one that split off of Australopithecus and isn't actually in our direct line. Right. But without any other species stepping up and taking that intermediate spot mm-hmm. right now, we just don't really know. and We don't have good evidence one way or another. Right. I think most, I mean, we, we clearly do share a common ancestor somewhere. It's just like, where is that ancestor at? Right. I guess, where is that split at? And the most interesting thing about this whole debate is that there is more recent evidence from the 2000s that indicate Homo habilis and Homo erectus, which is the one we'll talk about in segment two, that they might have overlapped for a little while. Mm -hmm. And when you have two species overlapping, it challenges the idea that one directly evolved into the other. When they cohabitate or coexist at the same time, it makes you think that you're talking about different evolutionary lines to cause that to happen. Right. Not necessarily, right. but it kind of makes you think that way. Speaking of cohabitating. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were we? <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of. At least coexisting. Yeah. Homo rudolfensis yeah. is the next one we're going to talk about here in the last few minutes of this segment. They lived relatively short evolutionarily. Now, of course, this is because that's the evidence that we have. Right. right? So we it only could be ha- a lot longer. Yeah. And we only have one fossil, which is why this is really just yeah, a, a quick not dis- even a thing. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So they lived from 1.9 million to 1.8 million years ago. And they Literally were only a hundred thousand years because that's the layer they were found. In. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they were in Eastern Africa, Northern Kenya and possibly Northern Tanzania and Malawi. And I think, I think they're only expanding it to that broad because probably for mm-hmm. geographic reasons and where they might have been based on where they were found, you know? Yeah. And even though there was only one fossil found, mm-hmm. one, one piece of this thing, it took them a while to actually name this as a new species. Yeah. Uh, it was discovered in 1972, but not named as a new species until 1986. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's called Rudolphensis, it was found at Kubifora in the Lake Turkana Basin of Kenya, and Lake Turkana was formerly called Lake Rudolph. Right. Right. So Kubifora, there's a Kubifora field school every year yeah. run by Meve Leakey. Yeah. It's who's a big Richard site, right? daughter. Yeah. 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 And it's a massive just like wealth of information. Mm-hmm. You know, they're yeah. pulling stuff out of there all the time. Yeah. So, 
They originally thought it was Homo habilis, but it has a larger brain case, a longer face, and larger molars and premolars, so they kind of pulled it out of the Homo habilis yeah. line. Because right. Homo habilis has smaller of all those things. Yeah, they were just like, this yeah. is different. This is too different. We need to put this right. into its own separate category. Yeah. And that was done by VP Alexiv, who was part of Richard Leakey's team. He gave it a completely new name, which was originally Pithecanthropus Rodolfensis. And the reason I brought this up is because I think it's really interesting to see how the the names have changed over the yeah. years, too. So Pithic Pithecanthropus is something you might see in older texts. And that's one of the ones that was sort of sucked into Homo at some point. And anything Pithecanthropus became Homo because there's so many different, like while we are still figuring out paleoanthropology and what was what and where it fits and where it goes and whatever, it just all these different names popped up. And at some point it all got, like you said, lumped (laughs) and lumped in a good way, I think, because we recognize they were all the same thing or part of the same group. And of course, one of the reasons why all this keeps changing and evolving mm-hmm. is because nature hasn't provided us with a definition of these species. We have. Yeah. Like right. scientists have said, we are going to define these species based on this metric, but we've changed how we define species yeah. recently. Yeah. Uh, not recently, but like through time. Yeah. It's there's, constantly changing. Yeah. There's the, the biological definition, which is often just simply related to, can they produce viable offspring? Mm-hmm. But then there's many other definitions of species and how you actually separate these things out and, and what that actually means. And the more that we, I guess, learn about these things and then the more subtle differences that we can come up with, the more we can decide, yeah, this really is a new species or Mm -hmm. it was, you know, something that we can lump in and, you know, the genus actually, they can put it in the genus and then make a new species out of it or or keep in the same one. Right. And Rudolphensis is such a great example of that because the debate about it originally was the brain case size. Mm -hmm. It's 750 cubic centimeters and that is outside the largest size of Homo habilis brain case sizes. Sorry, that was a very confusing way to put that. But basically, their headspace is a lot bigger than any other example of Homo habilis. So it was like, okay, this is just too big and too different. And we're now making this this brain case cutoff point less than the 750 that that guy was coming in at. So that's how that that break happened. All right. Well, with so few fossils, the debate's going to continue until yeah. we find more. And that's really the case with a lot of different things. It will, yeah. So, all right. Well, that was a long segment. We're going to end that, come back on the other side and talk about Homo erectus. Hey, podcast fans. I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code TAS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code TAS at liquidiv.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 211. And this is our fourth series in our mini-series about paleoanthropology. Fourth episode. Fourth episode. <laughs> you know, I, I was doing series, it the British episode, way. Series, episode, whatever. I was doing oh, it the British way. Oh, I see, yeah. I see. Okay, yeah. sure. So, <laughs> anyway, that's not even the British way. That's completely wrong. Anyway. <laughs> Everything you say is wrong. I know. I know. So we're going to talk about now a species that was just like super long, had a lot of longevity yes. in the in the human evolutionary line. And there's a lot of debate about what came off of this species, mm-hmm. what it was, and just like a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, there's like so much theory here. And honestly, yeah. we're not going to like dive too much into all of the theory stuff. Yeah. We'll just talk about the fossils and who they are and what they look like and where they lived. <laughs> and Right. So Homo erectus has a date range of between 1.89 million yeah. and 110,000 years ago. It's so long. I mean... <laughs> Like my grandma probably knew a Homo erectus. Like that's not <laughs> oh, very long ago. That's so mean to grandma. Betty. But like evolutionarily speaking, <laughs> yeah, that is like a blink of an eye. I know it is. It's you know? so it's so close. It's yeah. it's amazing that one species was able to last for that long, and that's probably why there's so much debate between the the people that want to split out the different species and call them something different because it's like such a long time. But well, it just makes me wonder if like 110,000 years, it makes me wonder if one of them's like lying in a peat bog somewhere and we could actually get some DNA. <laughs> oh my God, right? wouldn't that be amazing? I don't think that's even possible because there's been ice ages over those peat bog, peat yeah. bogs since then. Yeah. But even so. Well, you know what? It might be possible because some of the species that we're going to talk about in the next segment, we don't need to get into it yet, but they have mitochondrial DNA that they've pulled yeah, out. Yeah, so yeah. maybe. For sure. Well, anyway. The other amazing thing about Homo erectus is the geographic spread. Yeah. They're found in northern, eastern, and southern Africa, western Asia, including Dmanisi and the Republic of Georgia, and then East Asia in China and Indonesia. Right. So like that's basically all of Africa and all of like the southern Asian subcontinent area. Yeah. It's crazy. It's huge. Yeah. You might hear different things about out of Africa versus multi-regional hypothesis uh, as far as human, the human evolution and human spread. And some of the debates go to, you know, where did that actually start, right? Mm -hmm. What species did that start with? Did Homo erectus spread out around the world like we know that it did and then evolve into humans independently several different times? Or did humans evolve in one location and then spread out and basically take over Homo erectus in all those locations, mm-hmm. right? So there's kind of a big debate around that still. And there's there's a lot of heated Is opinions Is there really still side. debate? I thought like well, the out of Africa idea was basically the one that most people accept, given our current evidence. Right. It, it basically is, but... They're starting to read. I just heard a podcast, actually, the Life and Ruins podcast. Oh, really? Actually. Okay. Yeah, they they had a geneticist on, and he was talking about sort of a redefining of multi regional multi regionalism, mm. uh, more of like almost from a genetic standpoint. Okay. And saying how, yes, humans evolved actually in. I don't want to say they evolved independently in different areas, but evolving from the same species. So mm. is that, you know. Is that multi-regionalism or mm, is that, right. you know, what is that? So that does get very I don't know enough about it to really speak well, intelligently about it. That's the theory stuff that I said we wouldn't talk about too much because yeah, exactly. it's really exactly. complicated and it's definitely beyond our like right. academic level or whatever. Now, some of you may remember me talking about 
fossils being found in uh, Indonesia. And yes. I couldn't remember who it was, but yeah. where the guy was basically, he, he had a bunch of people digging and he was paying them to take him fossils to the tent and they decided oh, they learned yeah. early on that if they broke them in half, he'd pay them more. Oh, yeah. Right. This was, that was Eugene Dubois. I couldn't oh, okay. remember what his name okay, was. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... Homo erectus was originally identified in 1891 in Indonesia by Eugene Dubois, and he was a Dutch surgeon. He was actually just kind of interested in all this stuff. Yes, his story is so interesting. He was he thought that human origins would be found in Asia. That's what he thought. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to go find it. And so he couldn't get the funding for it, but he, I guess, had enough skills as a surgeon, which I guess in the 1800s, like it didn't take a lot to get there. And so he was able to enlist and go to Indonesia as part of the army or whatever branch he was in, the military. And on the side, while he was also being a surgeon, (laughs) he was, or medical, doing medical stuff of some sort, he was looking for fossils. And that's how he got his start. Just a crazy story. I know. I'm looking for a book right now. It was by Pat Shipman and it's called The Man Who Found the Missing Link. Eugene Dubois and his lifelong quest to prove Darwin right. Hmm. And that was an excellent book. I read it a long time ago. Yeah. And it was just uh, highly recommend. Kind of a more readable type of nonfiction sort of telling the story of somebody. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, Pat Shipman has she's written a lot of really great books about the leakies, Mm -hmm. about, you know, Eugene Dubois, other people. And she reads it in a very conversational, like adventure sort of way. Mm -hmm. It makes you want to go to Indonesia and do these things. Mm -hmm. Right. Like she's just really good at doing that. Mm hmm. Anyway. Eugene Dubois originally called Homo erectus Pithecanthropus erectus. Yep. That's where There's that, that came name from. again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he later changed it to Homo when modern paleoanthropologists realized that they were our evolutionary ancestor. Mm-hmm. He didn't change it to Homo, but the somebody the, did. Yeah. The field changed it to Homo, right. basically. Right. Yeah. Homo erectus is the oldest known early human ancestor to have possessed modern human-like body proportions as related to the legs and arms and their length, like relatively elongated legs, shorter arms compared to the size of the torso. Yeah. They primarily lived on the ground rather than in the trees, we think, just because of their body style. Because of that, the length of the arms and legs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could have climbed trees, like we can climb trees, Mm -hmm. but did they need to climb trees and live up there? Yeah. No, probably not. And this next thing that we have in our notes here is just crazy to me. And I think it's a reflection of how long Homo erectus lived and also where they lived, the the wide variety. But their height can range anywhere from four foot nine to six foot one. They lived I mean, for over almost two million years. I know. Like that's a really long yeah. time that they were walking this world. So yeah, you have a huge, we have four foot nine to six foot one people right now in I this know. world. So And here's the thing I don't get is if we I would like to see that those heights on a date chart. Yeah. Are the shorter heights further back or are some of those females? You know, yes. I mean, like we would need to sex them if we can yeah. and then place them on a date timeline because all the early hominin species were shorter yeah. back yeah. in the day. Right. When you go like uh, 1.5 million and back, they were mm-hmm. all shorter yeah. in that under five foot range and some in the under four foot range when you get back to like two million years. Mm-hmm. So it would be weird to me if Homo erectus basically just got taller over two million years, but didn't really change much else right. enough to be called a different species. Yeah. Right. And similarly, the weight was also is also a pretty big range of 88 to 150 pounds. Yeah. Which, again, I mean, that probably does account for people today, though, that range. 88 a little small, but, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, when they started getting bigger, they obviously needed more energy to survive. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of your big animals out there, they're not all vegetarians. Yep. If they are, they have to literally eat all day long. Like, you know, Brontosaurus or something like that was just like eating leaves pretty much continuously because they were so gigantic. Yep. But if you don't want to eat literally every second of your day and you want to do some other stuff, you can eat stuff like meat, uh-huh. which is a higher calorie intake and is easier to digest Yep. and became a staple in their diet because it was just, uh, well, it was just more efficient. For them. It was just yeah. a more efficient food source, basically. Yeah. They could eat less and... Yeah. yeah, the nutrients were absorbed faster and they had shorter digestive tracts than their ancestors, which is likely a, a result of an evolutionary result of doing this behavior. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. So, if they're eating meat and that becomes their primary food source, well, you've got to find a way of getting that meat, right? So, they needed tools. And we definitely know that Homo erectus had tools. They participated in a stone tool tradition called the Ashelian tradition. And mm-hmm. we have many, many, many examples of these tools in association with Homo erectus fossils. Yeah. The Ashelian hand axe is a very broad category of tools that includes multi-purpose bifacial tools. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. That could have been used as picks, knives, and cleavers. They would have been used in hunting and preparing large game to eat. Now, the Ashelian hand axe is something you may have seen. And in fact, if you go to arcpodnet.com forward slash shop, you can be taken to our T Public store. <laughs> and one of our early logos that we had designed, not logo, but one of our early designs is actually an Ashelian hand axe. And mm-hmm. you can get it on a number of things. But is that it's the a, one that's kind of on the side? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's a large, like leaf-shaped object, probably about the size of your hand. It is flaked on both sides. That's what bifacial means. Both mm-hmm. faces were, were flaked. So they had flakes taken off. And this thing was legitimately shaped through cultural transmission of knowledge mm-hmm. to produce this predictable shape yeah. for a really long time. Yeah. Unlike yeah. the old one tools that were kind of expedient and might have even happened by accident a little bit and then they took advantage of it these are so intentional and they almost have artistry to them and they're they're shaping them and they're they're purposely making certain shapes to do certain tasks and things like that right now we also have evidence of some hearths or fire pits associated with homo erectus Mm -hmm. Um, there is direct evidence that they were for cooking food but probably also for social interaction warmth and protection Mm -hmm. i mean if you've got a fire and you're on the cold savannah at night yeah and the fire helps you see a little better helps you i mean they were pretty well night adapted like like species can be Mm -hmm. and probably a lot more attuned to sounds and things like that than we are today Mm -hmm. you know we we don't really know how to interpret the sounds we hear in the dark because we don't live in the dark Right. And that would go back to the archaeology of the night. Yeah. Uh, a past episode. It's a very we had, good point. Yeah. yeah. With Nancy Gonlin. Anyway, there's a lot of things that, that we're just no longer adapted to do at night, whereas yeah. species that just lived outside their whole lives and didn't know what inside meant and didn't know what fire meant necessarily, they would still not have lost that. But fires are still pretty cozy. Yeah. You know, did you keep you warm? They lived on the savannah. It got cold at night. It would keep big animals away, potentially scare yeah. them away. So it yeah. was probably, you know, a lot of reasons that they, they would huddle around a fire at night. I know. And I think they always talk about like cooking food and things like that as being, you know, hallmarks of advancement. But when they stopped being afraid of fire mm-hmm. and started harnessing it, not necessarily making fire, they probably took advantage of like lightning strikes and other things. And then maybe, maybe even kind of kept that fire going once they realized what was, you know, trying to put two and two together mm-hmm. and maybe just kept it going all the time because mm-hmm. they didn't know how to start one and, and they didn't know when the next fire was going to be created. So, you know, that was just, that's huge. Mm -hmm. I think that's just massive. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. 
Another thing that we have evidence for is that Homo erectus probably cared for their old and their sick. We don't have a lot of examples of this, but we have found a, a skull where the teeth were gone or mostly gone and mm-hmm. somebody in that situation like wouldn't be able to eat unless there was somebody helping them find and process foods to the point where they were able to like gum them yeah. <laughs> you know so that's one example of it don't we have evidence of like healed bone fractures too which um, is not necessarily in in, in, you know, meaning somebody cared for you, you can yeah. you can break your arm and still go about your day to day business. Right, true. You know, but they didn't abandon the right. person probably. So yeah. the, what you might be thinking of, and I actually had this in my notes at first, and I ended up taking it out because it's some misinformation that has sort of hmm. gotten into the paleoanthropology world, which happens. But Turkana boy is one of the fossils we're going to talk about in a second here, and originally it was thought that he had scoliosis. Hmm. And the fact that he lived as long as he did meant that there were people taking care of him. And so that was why he lived. But it actually turns out that the original researchers had parts of the rib cage upside down when they were analyzing him initially. And it made it look like he had scoliosis. And then like about 10 years ago, somebody went through and did a full reanalysis. And I found the paper and everything. It's like a true real scientific paper in like nature or something like that where they found you know, okay, no, this was not scoliosis. This kid was just a kid, basically. So anyway, we'll talk about him in a second. All right, so let's talk about some famous Homo erectus fossils. Yeah. The first one we're going to talk about is one of the ones Eugene Dubois found, Mm -hmm. and he called it Java Man because it was found near or in Java, Indonesia. Yeah. It only consisted of a skull cap and a femur and was from what they called the Trinity site on the Solo River. Again, he called it Pithecanthropus erectus, or upright ape man. That's what that means. The erectus is upright, mm-hmm. and Pithecanthropus is ape man. Mm-hmm. Pithica, or Pithic, I guess, and, and then Anthropus. Yeah. Ape man. But he had no luck convincing the scientific community to accept his idea. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't really credentialed. Not that you would have been in paleoanthropology in <laughs> right. the 1890s. But he but, wasn't like an academic yeah. or anything. And yeah. I think he sort of... Well, not in this field anyway. Yeah, no. So he he really struggled with that. Yeah. And interestingly, there are actually many other early examples from this area that are also called Java Man, different variations on it. But Java Man kind of seems to be like a name that a lot of people used for fossils found in Indonesia. So you might see that term referring to other fossils too. And in another example of really well thought out naming methods, (laughs) (laughs) Peking Man was found in, wait for it, Peking, China. China! (laughs) Yeah. And was found in 1927 by Davidson Black. Yeah. He actually called this fossil because, again, the whole lumper splitter debate. Yes. These people all wanted to have their own fossils, right? <laughs> yeah. This is another example of one that just got pulled into the right. homo species at some point. Exactly. But he called his fossil uh, Sinanthropus pekinensis and pekinensis for Peking, mm-hmm. which was renamed in the 50s when it was recognized that all the Asian and African fossils were the same species. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's when that, that grouping happened. Is yeah. I don't know if one person just started analyzing all these fossils, realizing, wait a minute, this one's the same, this one's the same, this one's the same, this one's the same. But in the 50s is when they sort of all got lumped together. Right. So Turkana Boy, which we mentioned earlier. Jeez, where could Turkana Boy have been found? (laughs) Man. Yeah, I know. Big questions here. Um, (laughs) He is the most complete example of the species. He's missing just his hand and foot bones and a couple other random little bits. So he's so complete. It's amazing. He dates to 1.6 million years ago and was found near where now? Uh, Lake uh, Lake something or other. I can't remember <laughs> what the name of it was. Turkana. Lake, Lake Turkana. Yeah. yeah, which is in Kenya. Yeah. And I, I 
already mentioned him in his, the scoliosis debate, of course. But the other thing about him is interesting is he was originally called a homo ergaster instead right. of homo erectus. And I just wanted to talk about this here at the end of this segment just a little bit because you probably will still see homo ergaster referred to in various websites, different texts or whatever. It's mostly not a name that's used anymore. Or if it is, it's homo erectus slash ergaster. And the reason for that is that researchers did not understand that this one archaic species could be spread across so many continents. And so they were given two different names. We had Homo erectus over in Asia, and then we had Homo ergaster in Africa. Yeah. And then in the 50s, like we just talked about, all of that sort of was combined together and lumped under the Homo erectus name. And that's how we ended up with Homo erectus. Yeah, I mean, it was originally thought that these small differences in the shapes of their bones, teeth, things like that, mm-hmm. really indicated different species. But yeah. then as we started to refine our definition of that, mm-hmm. we, weren't, we weren't really just bringing them in. We refined our definition, yeah. reanalyzed a lot of stuff that was looked at beforehand, yeah. and ended up bringing them to the same species, which I'm sure is going to happen again at some point. We're Through time, we're more than likely going to lose some of these species names that we know and love, yeah. and they're going to get sucked into you know, single species names or just a few, right? Yeah. Because as we redefine what that means, we'll start having better criteria for that. Yeah, for sure. So. And Homo erectus is being one of the oldest ones that was identified, you know, back in the 1800s mm-hmm. was the first example of it. It just has a long history of different people in different parts of the world finding fossils, wanting to lay claim to it, giving them different names. And then that's how you ended up with these two lines that were essentially the same thing under two different names. So right. it just makes sense that it was all brought together under one name. It is it's crazy that they're all the same thing, but yeah. that's what the science is telling us right now anyway from the information that we have at this moment. All right. Well, we're going to end this segment and we're going to talk about in segment 3 the grandparents of Neanderthals and hobbits. <laughs> hobbits, not grandparents of hobbits, just hobbits. Just hobbits. Yeah. Back in a minute. <laughs> Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 211. And we are now talking about Homo heidelbergensis and Homo floresiensis. Yep, the last two. Not the last two. The last two we're going to talk about. last two we're going to talk about in this series. Yeah. <laughs> you might be thinking this isn't where, you know, our line ends, but that's because we have a whole other set of episodes about Neanderthals and Denisovans and that whole thing. So yeah. we'll link to those in our show notes. Yeah, for sure. Homo heidelbergensis. Again, 
well named. You can figure out where that comes <laughs> Honestly, from. Honestly, I was getting like so annoyed at that name every time I was taking my notes here because I'm like, man, why did they have to pick such a long, long name? Erectus, so easy. But anyway, yeah, a lot okay, of stuff I found digress. in Germany. <laughs> yeah, they date to about 700,000 to 200,000 years ago, mm-hmm. found in Europe. Um, and then they were actually found in Europe first. That's where the name comes yes, from. Yeah. And then uh, also identified in Eastern and Southern Africa and possibly Asia uh, in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were first discovered in 1908 near, near where you guessed it, <laughs> Heidelberg, Germany. My mom was discovered in Heidelberg, Germany. Oh, is that where she was born? Really? Yeah. Oh, on the base there, right? <laughs> yeah, my yeah, grandpa yeah. was in the military in the 50s. Yeah. Yep. German scientist Otto Schoen Tensack. Schoen Tensack. Schoentensack. There's no way we're saying that right. No, there's Forgive no way us, at all. please. Yeah. Guten Tag. Anyway, uh, was the first to describe and name the specimen. Yeah. So Homo heidelbergensis had a very large brow ridge and a larger brain case and a flatter face than earlier species did. Yeah. And they were a little bit taller, too, than their predecessors at an average height for the males of five foot nine inches and for females, five foot two inches. So still in like the erectus line, but when you go back farther, we're, we're up in the five foot range now for average height. The average weight of the males was about 136 pounds, so still pretty skinny. <laughs> and females were 112 pounds. Yeah, on the smaller side for sure. Yeah. So they were the first to live in colder climates. And because they had these sort of shorter, wide-ish bodies, that would have been better at conserving heat, which might have been an adaptation to the colder climate. Right. They had... Control of fire. We have pretty good evidence of that. Mm-hmm. We have fire modified tools and charcoal at the site of Gesher Beno Yaakov in Israel. Mm-hmm. There's also some other Israeli sites that would come up later, like for um, uh, Neanderthals and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them living in that area. But a fire modified tool is essentially you've got a material. A lot of times it's chert or something else mm-hmm. or something like chert, like flint. And if you create something... Or before you create it, even, uh, you could flake it later. But if you flake it and then throw it in the fire, which probably happened accidentally a few times, mm-hmm. it can actually harden and strengthen the tool yeah. after it's been fired. And that yeah. was done intentionally at some point. Yeah. I mean, you might get more longevity out of a tool if it's a lot stronger yeah. or it could be sharper. You know, there's a lot of reasons why they might want to do that. So right. they definitely developed that ability. We have some evidence in Terra Amata, France, that they also built rudimentary shelters out of wood and rock, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. At, at the Terra Amata site, they found these post holes sort of in an oval shape, and it was creating an oval structure with the posts sort of going up the sides and yeah. kind of curving to like a post that went down the center of the top, basically. Mm-hmm. Pretty neat, actually. And, and oh, and they use like rocks to sort of like hold those poles in place around the outside. Right. Really, really neat that they have that kind of structure evidence from that long ago. Any creature that's lost most of its fur is going to have to build something, learn how to build something like that, or live in caves mm-hmm. or something if they're going to live in those types of climates. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. if they have fire too, I mean, they immediately have a way to make that warm. It's so funny. We just had a personal example of that <laughs> because we're here at in Mexico still, but it's pretty windy and chilly at night. Yeah. And we have one of those clam tents that we set up outside yeah. and we put our propane fireplace inside of it. And it like takes a couple minutes, but it is instantly cozy and warm in there. And that's just like a mesh tent, you know, with open sides so that it's all safe and everything, you know, breathing wise and all that. And yeah, it's just amazing what that technology would have allowed them to do and allowed them to further their lives, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe they even cooked. 
Because Maybe. Like, mm-hmm. like we said, there's, there's evidence that they had control of fire yep. and on all that and, and for modifying tools and things. But they hunted big game like wild deer, horses, elephants, hippos, and rhinos. Yeah. And we know that for sure because there's evidence of butchery at some sites that have those types of bones and that also have Heidelbergensis fossils. So right. that was definitely something that was happening. They were cutting into these animals for some reason. We can yeah. only assume that they were doing it for eating purposes. Yeah, and I mentioned at the end of the last segment that we were going to talk about the grandparents of Neanderthalensis. Homo heidelbergensis is often thought of as the common ancestor between Homo sapiens and Homo neanderthalensis. Right. Yeah. So now that gets a little sticky. It We've does. talked about this in other episodes, but we're indicating that Homo sapiens, us basically, are a different species than Homo neanderthalensis. But we also share genetic information with we Homo do. neanderthalensis, which means they're not using a species definition that means can produce viable offspring. Because right. these are two different species that are clearly producing viable offspring when right. they got together, mm-hmm. right? Neanderthals and, and, and humans. Yeah. So it, it is very interesting. It's a very yeah. intermingled history between all of the species there. And it makes you wonder exactly where Heidelbergensis fits in mm-hmm. and if they were the only one that fits in there or if there's something else that we're missing. Maybe right. there's a split in the group that we just haven't figured out yet. Who knows? Yeah. That's why it's a constantly evolving field. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the next one we mentioned talking about here in segment three is Homo floresiensis. This is where hobbits come in. <laughs> they... <laughs> They date to about 100,000 years to 50,000 years ago. Again, super recent. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting, too, because these guys are a fairly recent discovery. One of the most recent, like, big discoveries and big new species in paleoanthropology. Yeah, it was huge when it came out. Yeah, we were both in college when it happened. And, like, I remember, like walking through the halls of university and having people like debating (laughs) like where like where they fit into into the evolutionary line yeah it's pretty cool yeah they were found in 2003 in liang boa cave on the island of flores and so far this is the only site or place where they have ever been found yeah Uh, the cool thing is it was a there was a nearly complete skeleton plus the bones and teeth that represented as many as 12 individuals Mm -hmm. which is really neat they're very small compared to contemporary species, which is why they were given the nickname of Hobbit. Yep. Because they're they're definitely hominid. Yes. Not necessarily hominin, but they're definitely hominid. And I mean, they look like just short, short hominids, you yeah. know, that, that are really close to humans, Neanderthals, you know, and all those other species that are that are modern uh, as far as the last hundred thousand years ago. I mean, I think there is still debate about it some, but for the most part, I think they have been put into the human evolutionary line where they fit exactly and how is probably still up for debate somewhat but well putting them in that line though would indicate that we evolved from them right if they're in the line but they seem to be a more of a dead branch right a terminated branch because i mean back 50 to 100,000 years ago these individuals that were found and again we have only one example of this it's a whole group of them Mm -hmm. but we have only one example they stood about three feet six inches tall so super small weighed approximately 66 pounds and that was estimated from one of the skeletons had really small brains large teeth for their small size and shrugged forward shoulders no chins really receding Mm -hmm. foreheads and relatively large feet due to their short legs the large feet is another indication that we are calling them hobbits now You may have heard a concept called island dwarfism, and this was initially postulated as the reason why they're so small. This is an island. Yes. And 
I, I, w- I would hope that they actually looked back in the geological record. Has it always been an island? You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, it was it was separated. There was no way to get there without having some kind of boat or something to get across the water. Right. Yeah. So maybe they drifted there on some uh, driftwood, an early ancestor of theirs mm-hmm. did. You know, they got there somehow and then could never get off. Right. Yeah. It was some random circumstance that brought them there and they could never get away. Yeah. And, you know, they just evolved. The island dwarfism is about evolving to essentially not compete with the resources that are on the land. Like if you want to live and, you know, you require 3000 calories a day to live and there isn't that kind of resource on the land, well, you're not going to live very long. Yeah. You know, so if you just eke it by, you know, for generations, but if you, if you evolve to be smaller a little bit, the smaller ones will probably have a more longevity and be able to reproduce more because they require less energy to actually sustain themselves throughout the day. Yeah. And we see that in animals all the time. Like this, this island in particular, I think had a like pygmy elephant. Yeah. Like, and they still to this day have some of the smallest elephants in the world. So it's a pattern that has been seen before on this island and in this area. Ooh. So it makes sense that that. I, so here's the the big question, though, right? They definitely have a common ancestor with us, right? That ha- that for sure is true. Right. And then the split would have happened, and maybe it happened naturally because they got stranded on an island, and then they just became their own population. But if they went this way to this island and, and evolved from there, and then the rest of the Homo you know, we got to Homo sapiens over here. Mm-hmm. Does that make them a separate branch or does it, is it just a small offshoot, but still part of the Homo, it's an, the Homo branch, you know? Again, it's, it's a dead it's branch. like the age old question, really. It, well, it's a dead branch unless we can prove we directly were, were descended from them. But I just don't think we are because Homo sapiens and, and the lines coming from there were getting taller with bigger brains. These yeah. are shorter with smaller brains. Yeah. So they either, they went the wrong direction and there wouldn't have been enough time between now and 50 to 100,000 years ago for us to develop from them or share genetic information well, from them. Yes, not physically. Like they were on their island and they were isolated there. They did not come back and contribute to the ongoing evolution. But, but before they got to the but island. But before they got to the island, well, do they... I mean, before they got to the island, they could have been Homo erectus. Like, do the do the changes that happened to them after they got to the island? Is it enough to make them a separate branch, or can we still consider them part of our evolutionary line? It's I so think, complicated. I think what it boils down to is when they got to the island, they could have been Homo hydrobergensis. They could have been Homo erectus. Right? Mm-hmm. They could have been either one of those, assuming they were both found in that or area, or something else entirely too, or something like, else entirely. Yeah. Right. But more than likely one of those two, Mm -hmm. right? If they were found in that area, historically. And then they just evolved to be something else and then died out. Yeah. You know, same thing with Neanderthals. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people that think that Neanderthals died out. Right. Right. That was the original theory because there's no more. So dot, 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 they died out. Right. But a lot of people are coming around to the idea, especially since, I mean, a large portion of the planet has Neanderthal DNA. Yeah. It, because we've sequenced the Neanderthal genome, at least Minor, part of it. small amounts of it, yeah, but small, it's there. Small. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. way back. Yeah. And so right next to the Genghis Khan DNA is the <laughs> Neanderthal DNA. Yeah. Yeah, and that means that, you know, while they could have died out, they were more than likely bred out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they just were similar enough to Homo sapiens that we can't really see that much of a change in our species with the breeding with Neanderthals, or maybe it just wasn't enough, enough to, you know, produce offspring that had their mm-hmm. DNA that was perpetuated through time. But 
not enough to make massive sweeping changes within yeah. Homo sapiens, or it's just they're changes that you know we didn't really understand or don't understand now, or, or aren't preserved in the fossil record. Right. So. Anyway, who's All right, to say? well, there's no answers to any questions, yeah, and hopefully that wasn't too confusing, but yeah. it is, it's just what we know now, and scientists do the best they can with the information that they have in the current moment. Yeah, so. for sure. Now, we've mentioned Neanderthals and Denisovans a couple times in this episode, and we are not going to cover them because we did do that last year. We'll link to the episode in the show notes, yeah. but we have, I think it was like a two, a one or two episode little deep dive into those yeah. guys so we have covered that before and you can can you know head on over to that episode to finish out this little conversation <laughs> for members you can go over to arcpodnet.com slash members if you're not a member but go over to archaeologypodcastnetwork.com click on your member pages and then click on the early downloads page because we put in bonus content segments along with the episode in your early downloads page mm-hmm. there is a bonus content area but that's for bonus content that's not connected to an episode yeah right so to find this bonus segment that we're going to record and do after this one again go to the early downloads page and you can you see the bonus segment there right alongside of the regular episode mm-hmm. like i said if you're not a member arcpodnet.com forward slash members and you can support us and get this content and as a little teaser if you're wondering what this bonus content might be we are going to talk about cima de los huesos which means pit of bones nice very cool very exciting sounds pretty fun yep All right. With that, we will see you guys next week where we're probably going to kick off some new stories again because there's a lot building up. (laughs) A lot has happened. Yep. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome.